Hello and welcome to another episode of Fools Daily. Unfortunately for you, I'm joined by um, a guest who's not as good as some previous guests that we've had recently, but it is Matt. Flange Gibbon. Flange Gibbon? Yes, you said say something, so I've been saying things. <sighs> Why do I put up with you? Because I make you look good. It's a well-established fact. That, that is true. That is true. And you know where recently I looked good? The 7TV day. Seamless. I like it. Did you like that? No. Oh, okay. I thought it was quite good. That's fine, as long as you thought you were good. I always think I'm good. Senile dementia. It's not senile dementia. Must be. I'm not that old. Older than me. Yes, true. I have toys that are older than you. Mm, Probably. Well, I do, because I still have my teddy bear from when I was born. Oh, my Lord. Seriously, I do. Is it is it painted with lead paint? No, it's not painted. It has stuff with asbestos. Well, it might be stuff with asbestos. It has no fur because when I was a small child, I used to eat <laughs> fur off no. it. No, yeah. no. Oh. All right. We've seen videos like that, haven't we, Johnny? <laughs> have you watched Stranger Things yet? No. Um, the teen child watched it over the weekend and said it was darker, scarier, but better than the other two seasons. I think it's the best season. I think it's the best season. So I might try and binge watch it during the week and then we can record about it. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, th- I think it's the best season. She's certainly right. It's certainly darker and yeah. there is some major, major horror movie going on with it in places. Cool. Um, I enjoyed it massively. Um, well, I'll try and watch some tonight then, um, and maybe watch the rest tomorrow night, and then we can record about it on the weekend. Yeah, but you've got to watch season one and two first. I've seen season one and two. Oh, have you? Yes. Oh, okay. I, I didn't think you'd seen any. Yes. No, I saw season one and two. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Now, now, we can watch that, and then we can record later. Yes. Though not this weekend. Because Are you DDDing again? Well, no, it turns out that I've been an idiot. Oh, no, that's right. It's Barrows and Badgers this it's weekend. It's Barrows and Badgers it? this weekend. What it apparently had happened is that I put it in the right date in the calendar because I looked at the calendar history. I looked, mm-hmm. I had put it in the right date in the calendar and then at some point it got dragged and dropped into the previous, the following week. Uh, so I thought it was the following week, but it's actually this week. Um, hang on. So when I have a scheduling issue, I'm an idiot. I'm not you saying, have a sh- no, 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 I'm not saying I'm an idiot. I'm not an idiot. Oh, okay. I'm just clarifying the rules of bad calendar management. Certainly Mrs. Marshall has pointed out that I'm an idiot, given that we're going to Warhammer World on Thursday. Correct, yes. Come So then I'm home on Friday. Then Saturday I'm driving to Rushton or something in Northamptonshire. Yes. Um, along the A14. And, That's awful. Um, then I then I come then I come home again, and then on Sunday I drive to uh, Sutton Coalfield along the A14. Oh dear! So so I come home and then I go back out again. It would be much, it would be much easier if um, my youngest did not have uh, dancing on a Saturday yes. morning because I would have just taken her with me and then she could have sat going. Oh, is it time to go yet? 
um, at the Burroughs and Badgers thing, and then and then stayed just, over. Would have just taken a hotel and think that no, I have to do a lot of driving back and forth along the A14, full of roadworks. Yes. So I'll be <laughs> right, you're an idiot. I'll be right grumpy when I get to Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, <laughs> uh, idiot. Thank you, darling. You're welcome. Just right. makes a change for it to be you rather than me. It does. It does. So, shall we um, talk about 7TV Day? Yes, let's. Okay. So, last weekend, as we're recording, last Saturday, um, Matt and I and his youth... Smaller we, of the two. Who, yes. Frankly, I didn't see all day because we just threw him in the car and gave him a tablet and that was him sorted. Not some medication, just to clarify. Yes, a a digital tablet. Yes. Um, I didn't just drug him and leave him in the car. And we drove um, along the A17 this time. Oh, it's, it's like traffic news, this show today. Yeah. Roads on would... which we has been. Yeah, we'll do the A17 again on Thursday. We will do the A17 again on Thursday. Because um, we drove to Newark to go to Foundry. Never been there before. No, I haven't. It's quite nice. I like it. Yeah. Um, where uh, Wayne Peter Bollards, yes, real name, um, who is a contributor to War Games Illustrated. He, he's a co. Hang on. He sent me an email with his his title in the in the thing. Let me just check. Caller. Uh, uh, there he is. He is the sub editor. Or yeah. a sub editor of War Games Illustrated. So anyway, he works for War Games Illustrated. He works for War Games Illustrated. Um, he's a big Seven TV player, and he organised a Seven TV event um, to celebrate the launch of the new pulp box set uh, that Crooked Dice have produced in conjunction with Edge Hill University. A, a collabor- it's a collaboration between Carl Perriton, who is Mister Crooked Dice. And um, Peter Wright and his students at Edge Hill. Yes, and I think it's a games design course, isn't it? From I, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure whether it was a games design course or um, some sort of kind of business management type course that they're using game design in. I, I've not really fathomed that out. Oh. But anyway, so there's a group of ed- students at Edge Hill University who have been working on pulp. The, you know, a pulp setting for um, 7TV. Um, we've talked in the past about how much we love 7TV, um, and pulp is one of my favourite sort of periods to play. If you don't know what pulp is, um, most modern equivalent, think of the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies. Indiana Jones, The Mummy... Um... Flash Gordon, all of that kind of stuff. But also then you've got like the great gangster films, which obviously, as we've spoken about um, previously, I, I like the gangster type stuff. Um, any of those kind of high adventure. Um, Sam Spade. Sam Spade. Um, King Solomon's Mines, that kind oh, of yeah, thing. She. she, yeah. Um, and, you know, some some of the weird World War Two, and arguably some of the more... Um, trashy of the World War Two stuff would almost become yeah, pulp you could as argue, well. You could argue Hellboy is pulp. Yeah. Um, you could argue that. Um, oh, it's. Oh, I hate it when that happens. There was a a perfect example, and it's just disappeared. Um, 
Senile dementia. Yes, so. Um, so anyway, so that's that's pulp, and um, as Matt says, you can fit pretty much anything to Captain America: First Avenger. There are chunks of that that are pulp. Oh, definitely. Um, you know the whole Red Skull thing, um, mm. the Hydra thing, it all fits in. So anyway, yeah. um, Wayne put on an event, and as far as I know, it is the biggest seven TV event that there's been so far. Because there yes. were there were thirty tickets sold, um, and apparently it is in general the best supported event that War Games Illustrated put on throughout the year is yeah. their seven TV event. Um, and so we we turned up with our pulp casts. Um, you, if you've been reading the blog, I took Dr. Mobius and his crew. Um, Matt, what did you take in the end? Um, I, uh, I had great plans of doing my pulp cast, um, but Moving House kind of got in the way, so I just grabbed a handful of the painted gangsters that um, I had and used them as a, as a kind of crime family-type cast. Um, oh, yeah, Matt was designing his crew in the car on the way up. <laughs> Though, to be fair, yes, Pulp's only been out a couple of weeks. Yes, and I wasn't painting the night before. I, they were already painted figures, so I consider that evolution of me as a human being. <laughs> um, so, we, ro- we rocked up. We got there in plenty of time. There was still no parking. We ended up parking on the edge of this perilous verge of death. Well, that's... That's very pulpy of you, but I don't think it was quite as, as scary as that. It would have been if but I'd the, gone down it. Well, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so from that point of view, it's a great little venue because it is kind of like a foundry. Um, yeah, it's, it's, with a little courtyard, and they had a big market up blocks. in the courtyard. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess stable blocks or something of that ilk, sort of in a U-shape Um with a with a gate into the courtyard, and we had a big marquee up in the courtyard that um, had four or six tables in, but also then served as um, the dining area for the lunch that was provided. Yeah, so so food food was provided. Um, the tables were also have, tables were all absolutely lovely. Yeah, um, very in keeping. With it, and we had been dis- divided. It the setup that Wayne had gone for was that it was 1940 something, and uh, you were either assigned to SSR or Hydra, and your games contributed points towards your team total, and the winning team uh, would win. Yeah, obviously, the winning team would win. The team with the highest points would win. And Senile dementia. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that was that was the basic setup. Yeah, I had um, been reading the posts on Facebook and had, as requested, put in my team allegiance to be Hydra. Some other people hadn't been reading their posts on Facebook, even though they were tagged in them. Some people are moving house and were very busy. And had no broadband. Also had no broadband. <laughs> Thanks, Sky. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to whinge about that for a minute? 
listen, if you say you're going to give somebody broadband on Thursday, don't not give them broadband on Thursday, not communicate with them, wait for them to ring up on Friday, go, oops, it'll be Monday now. Tosses. <laughs> but I've got broadband now. It's great. <laughs> so that was the basic setup. Um Shall we explain? Seven TV is basically your you're making a TV show. Yeah. And so everything is ba- is predicated around the fact that this is a TV show. So you have your cast of characters and there is a certain amount of rating points and you either have um you can have a star, a co-star and extras and that's what makes up your cast. Um we were playing 30 casting points. And the game is controlled via a deck of cards that is effectively each episode. So there's episode, there's um, scene one, scene two, and then the finale, as which sort of you know as if they were split up by ad breaks. Yeah. And you go through this deck of cards, and each each of these cards has a thing that can happen. So it may be one that I got a couple of times was upstaging where your co your um hit cut star couldn't act that turn but your co-stars could act twice um or there are various other things like found footage or stunt man and things and so there are little events that happen throughout the game and but that controls the length of the game how quickly you go through that deck controls yeah, um, the timing so your, depending on your cast makeup, the number of co-stars, uh, stars and extras, each turn generates a number of plot points, which are in, a, in effect activation pips. Um, so, and you spend those to activate your characters. It is um, an I go, you go game. So, in effect, you activate your your cast, and then your opponent gets a chance to activate theirs. When you activate a character with a plot point. Um, then they can take two actions. So they can move or shoot or fight. Um, the general rule of thumb is that you can only fight or shoot once per turn, but then there are um, each of the co-stars and the stars will have special abilities that you can also spend, spend your um, plot points on. Or some of the events that come up on the cards that also maintain the the length of the game that Mike was just talking about. Um, there are additional things that will come up on them, and as you go through Act One, Act Two, and into the finale, Act Three, those tend to become more and more sensational, for the want of a better word. They have a greater effect on the game. Yeah. Um, so it, there is an element of resource management in that game of your generating and having to manage your plot points, um, and that you know there are certain abilities you can buy groups of figures in a unit so you know the leader of that that unit can for a single plot point activate those three or four models um but at at its heart there's an element of resource management um in order for you to be able to try and activate everything all at once but you're trying to save your plot points and you can carry them over into your next turn so you can accumulate them um, to allow you to use those special abilities at the point where they are kind of most, uh, well, depending on how you play the game, either the most useful or the most ridiculous and cinematic, depending on your point of view. Yes. Um, and also, you can spend plot points in 
if you're the if you're not the acting player, you can still spend plot points to do things like add dice to your rolls. Um, certain special abilities on your cards can be activated in when you're out of turn. Yeah. So it is very much a a balancing act on how you use them. Um, and if you look if you lose too many models, um, then your cast can get axed, which effectively ends the game um, immediately. Yeah. Because your show has been cancelled. So that's the, that's the basic that's the basics of Seven TV. Um, Pulp introduces a new twist in the form of peril cards, um, which is a effectively a global addition to whatever scenario you're playing. Everything is very much scenario driven, um, but you can play these peril cards that uh, affect things. And the rules on those are basically. You and your opponent should choose one that you think fit with the game that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm talking about the games, I'll mention the peril cards that we use because they add a really, really good extra dimension to the game. I mean, it was already fantastic, but with the yeah. peril cards, it's it's just very, very funny. So for those that haven't already picked up on um how we feel about seven tv given that we've mentioned it before and also how we feel about games that have a strong narrative bent we really really like this game yeah um it's it really is the kind of thing that we like and the fact it is very cinematic it is narrative driven it is designed in no way to be used in competitive play um it's just a fab rule set that allows you to make the movies on the table that you would potentially want to play in your head and watch on your telly. It's really, really good. Yeah. And I certainly haven't come across another player who doesn't think it in that way as well. I played three people this weekend, new people, people I've not met. I mean, I met one of them before. The other two I've not met before. I've not played before. And yet they all played it in exactly the same way that I was playing it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's very true of all of the people that were there. Um, And not just because of the nature of the event that and how Wayne ran it. But I think the ethos behind the game itself is very much of that. Um, you know, it, it, we're in it for the fun. We're in it for the stories. We're in it for the moments and the narrative yeah. and, and being able to talk about it and laugh about it in, you know, afterwards after the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it was three, it was three games. It was very, it was a very leisurely placed. Mm-hmm. Weekend. For some reason, my games were always the last finished, and and strangely, mine were often the first <laughs> finished. Um, which and it's unusual for me. Normally, I get through games really fast, but we're having so much fun. Um, yes. So the first scenario was effectively an objective gar- grabbing scenario. Yeah. Um, using the rules in the game, we we laid out the objectives. And then you had to grab them and get them off the board. Um, there was a sort of a house ruling that went round that 
if you got one to the edge of the board, then you were effectively handing it off to someone off stage. Because if models go off the board, then obviously that reduces the amount of points that you can have. Oh, I, I was never made aware of that ruling, and I my models left the table with the objectives. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not that it mattered at all. <laughs> um, so my first game was a game against um, a guy called Andy Bascom, who had come up from High Wycombe. Um, so he had almost as long a drive as we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was using um, Captain Flash... As in, um, hello, is that a canoe in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Yes, uh, it's one of the. It's a lovely model that was commissioned. I think uh, War Games Illustrated do a kind of a heroes range of miniatures. Yeah, heroes in miniature. I think it's actually called or giants. Is it giants in miniature? I can't remember, but one of those two for certain. Um, really, really nice model of the Blackadder goes forth, Flash. So the World War One pilot. Um, Superb rendition of it. So I had Doctor, so I had Doctor Mobius against um, Flash and Alan Quatermain and some polar explorers, even though we're in the jungle, <laughs> and Flash's dog. And we looked through the peril cards, and we came across one that where we were actually in the objective points that we were collecting were part of this giant machine network thing and so you had to pass a specific test to be able to pick them up and every so often as you got every third card as you went through the um control deck does the control deck actually have a proper name it must do but i can't remember it off the top of my head um and my books are out of range of where i'm seeing um so anyway every third card that you took off the deck uh these things would explode with electrical energy. Um, which meant that a lot of the time we were failing to pick it up and then blowing up. And our people would be knocked down, lying on the ground, writhing with electricity. And it was absolutely brilliant. It was a brilliant game. Um, we had one point, one of the objective markers was up on a piece of terrain. So Flash's dog jumped up there. And then Mobius's dog jumped up there. And then Mobius's dog went to pick it up but couldn't, and then it exploded. But Flash's dog didn't get knocked out, and Mobius's dog did get out. So then Flash's dog attacked Mobius's dog. <laughs> so so it was a dog a, fight. We had a dog fight. Um, and uh, Maria, my giant robot, um, who looks like Maria from Metropolis, um, I was using her as a hulking henchman. <laughs> and at one point, she she. Went up to two. She went up to um, two of the polar explorer dudes, and then just enveloped them in this giant bear hug, and they were captured, and they stayed there for the rest of the game, struggling ineffectively against her mighty grasp. It was great. So, nice. Um, it was absolutely, absolutely brilliant game. Um, we both got two objective markers off, um, and that was all that counted. It was. The score was, how many objective markers did you get off? Um, yeah. Neither of us realised that the MacGuffin, which is a an extra marker that you put down, was actually worth D6 markers, so neither of us went for it, ever. <laughs> we were just getting the objective markers that we'd laid out. Um, so, it was a, a stunning draw, and it was it- an excellent game, and if I remember, I will put a link to Andy's blog in the show notes 
so that um, you can go and read his write-up because he's written up really nicely. Yes. And uh, we'll come back to Andy because I played him in game three. Right. right. Um, <laughs> countdown cards, cliffhanger cards, that's what that deck is called. Okay. Depending on which version. So it's cliffhanger cards within the pulp version. Cool. See? Look at that. Yeah. The cliffhanger deck. That's right. So right. my my first game was against Simon Clark, which I know because I've just Googled it and found out that it was. <laughs> um, Simon had a crew that were called the 34th Street Commandos, and it was basically Santa Claus um, and his henchmen, including a angry reindeer with a red nose. Um, we were playing on, uh, it was, it was a semi-urban table, but had some ruins on as well, I think. Um, and we, we tentative, tentatively advanced. There were kind of two or three, um, objectives in our, each of our, our halves of the table. So we dutifully easily collected our own kind of objectives. And then there were a couple that were contested then in the middle. Um, my crew, based around lots of Tommy guns and stuff like that, um, were very much a shooty crew. However, his um, Santa's henchmen had rifles, so they were outranging me and picking me off. Um, it didn't go well. I shot lots of bullets, didn't hit very much, failed to kill Santa. One of my men was gored to death by a charging reindeer, um, and it was a loss for me. Um, Santa just... He, he, Santa was being played as a costumed crime fighter, I think, or it might or been a crusading crime fighter. But nevertheless, one of his special actions is he was swinging his sack, which in effect, I think it was long arm of the law, the actual star ability is. So it costs you two plot points, but basically anyone within three inches immediately kind of puts their hands up and takes a stunned marker. Um, and within the rules, obviously shooting and stuff causes damage, but fisticuffs doesn't often cause you damage. It inflicts a stunned condition. Um, but if you then get a second matching condition, um, then that turns itself into a wound. And a lot of most of the extras are single wound models. So Santa came in swinging his sack of presents around. Um, and stunned my characters, which um, then made them easy pickings for him to just thwack each and every one of them, give them a second stun marker, and therefore take them out of the game. Um, my crew consisted of one star, which was my uh, crime lord, and everybody else was extras. So as single wound models, I found that my crew was very brittle. Um, so, yes, uh, Santa definitely um gave me a swift swift kick in my chimney um and i lost that one i think four three um from the objectives point of view yeah i one of the things that i found in my three games is people who play seven tv more than we do knew how things like weakened and stuff worked whereas i didn't have a clue i read the hulking hunchman it said no damage and weakened and i'm going what's the point in that then because yeah. I didn't realise that if you put two weakens on... It's the equivalent of a wound. Yeah, if you if you get two of the same condition at any one point, then it's the equivalent of, of wounds. Yeah. 
Yeah, bearing in mind that's what uh, the the first game was possibly our fifth ever game of Seven TV. Yeah, something like are we certainly something like that. Yeah. Um. So. Um. The other thing, the other thing that caused some interesting confusion was the cards. So the cards have a shoot stat and a fight stat on them, which is just a number. But then the weapons have a plus bonus to it. Mm. And it was quite interesting because we asked, there was confusion about whether your total roll is your shoot number plus what you roll on a dice, plus the modifier, or whether it was just what you roll on the dice and the modifier. And so I would, I didn't know, because when we were at um, the 7TV in January, mm-hmm. I'd seen it played both ways. Yeah. So I wasn't 100% sure which way it was. So I'd spoken to Andy about it, and he said that he thought it was um, just the dice roll and... The um, modifier weapon, yeah. But we weren't sure, so we asked one of the um, Edge Hill team who were acting as umpires, and they said it was the shoot number and the modifier and the uh, dice roll. Yeah. And then Andy looked up in the rule book, and it isn't. So all got very confused, and eventually it is the the shoot number and the fight number on the cards are actually surplus to requirements. And I mentioned this to Carl um, while he was walking around. And he goes, yeah, for simplification, they could get take, those could get removed. Well, I think, I think the issue is, is in effect, they're, they're stats that are there potentially for opposed tests. Yeah. So, for example, you could, you could argue that if you are doing like a Western game, and you wanted to do a quick draw, then you could dice off against, yeah, you know, a dice plus your shoot stat to see who gets to fire first, that kind of thing. Yeah, because we were at one point we were doing opposed body tests, and we were basically just rolling a dice and adding our bodies. Yeah, um, but it did cause a little bit of confusion because you had the same confusion as well in your game. Yes, yeah, um, but got it all cleared up and all sorted out. I also braided one of the poor Edge Hill students, and I felt bad about it because. They were looking at my models, and he looked at Maria and didn't know where Maria was from. And I said, it's from Metropolis. And he sort of did a shrug at me, and I berated him, and then I felt bad about it. Yes, because not everybody is as as ancient or as film-savvy as us. Because, you know, Metropolis is like black and white with no sound. Kids would not watch that kind of thing these days. Well, kind of. Music. Yeah, but... Nearly every version these days is either colorized or in sepia, which I don't like. I don't like them either. I like the black, Leave and, white. Alone. Like the black yeah. and white one. Um, that's how it was made, so that's how it should be shown. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I felt bad, mm-hmm. as Be- you should, being mean to a student. But then yeah. I realised he was a student. Ah, oh, bludgers. <laughs> um. So that was so that was the first game. And then it was lunch. See, yes. I, told you, I told you it was an easy laid back day. <laughs> uh, what was it? It's approximately two hours allotted to each game or thereabouts. Yeah, we drew a big what? crowd for ours towards the end. Well, could largely because you were the last ones playing. But we were also quite loud, and yes, um, explosions were going off, and things were dying. 
I could hear the giggling from across the marquee. <laughs> it was it was quite a lot of fun. Um, so anyway, so then it was lunch, uh, baked potatoes and chili, vegeta- vegetable or meat. And yeah. um, unsurprising, there was a lot of vegetable chili left. Yes. No meat chili, though. No meat chili, no. Um, lots of cakes and donuts and pastries and stuff provided during the day. Free tea and coffee as well. Yes. And I was, at, by, at lunchtime, I was being very good. Yeah, I, that I, didn't last so much. Did I didn't it? have a potato. No. I did notice you did not have a potato. I, had, I was I impressed by your willpower at that point. Yeah. But later then you on, later on, I accidentally fell on some cake. There you go. You said to me just before we started recording, name a time where you've made a bad decision. There you go. All of the cake. It was nice cake. It, it actually, was very nice actually, cake. Actually, the cake wasn't that nice. The icing was delicious. Yes. The I'm cake not... was adequate, but the filling was the delightful. Butter, butter icing was... Mm, yes. Anyway. So yes, after after lunch, game two happened. Yes. So I played. I'm going first now. I was just going to say, let's do the scenario setup. Oh, I'll go go on because I can't remember that. So what um, the pieces that had been collected together um, of the super weapon, which we had been collecting in scenario one, were now all in a storage shed or other useful thing, and it yes. was basically a King of the Hill scenario. Yeah. The most you had to have at least three models, one of which had to be a star or a co-star adjacent to the aforementioned collection of goodies. Goodies at the end of the game. Um, now this was going to always prove difficult for me because I only had a single star in my crew. Everybody else was um, extras, so I was going to be up against it. Um, my second game was against Matt Lilly. Um, who had a crew of perishables. Um, or as it turned out, no, they bloody weren't. They were pretty damn resilient. Um, so my my boys from the south side of Chicago found themselves in the jungle. It's not a familiar environment for us, if I'm entirely honest. Um, we, we struggled somewhat. There was lots and lots of terrain. Um, so we kind of pootled down some paths discussing where we should be going. Um, and he had a fella in a skirt, I believe they're called kilts up north, um, who had the spy characteristic. Now, the spy characteristic for models allows them to deploy anywhere on the board. So he was he was kind of deployed quite forward. Um, and he kind of stepped out from behind a bush and with his Tommy gun, which has a three-inch kind of burst radius, um, and he had a star quality that allowed him to shoot twice in a turn, immediately gunned down one group of three models, turned around, and then gunned down another group of three models, um, which kind of was half of my cast. Um, so that didn't go so well. Then he had some some army types that were coming up, which what would have been my left flank, so I sent a couple of uh, of my doughty types to go and, and shoot them up. Um, I missed quite badly. Um, he didn't miss and shot all my other fellas up. So I was basically left with just my crime boss, which means I couldn't win. 
Um, so in a suitable cinematic way, he rushed forward um, and tried to shoot the guys that were nearest the shed of of, gribbly, of, of gadgets. Um, and then he died, all of which took place in about 20 minutes. And Matt was very gracious, going, I feel really bad. Uh, I don't suppose that was much of a fun game for you. Uh, I've shot everyone off. And I'm like, it was brilliant. It's such a laugh. Um, so, yeah, I think we were the first ones finished. He, he, It was a resounding win for him. All of my men died, but it was bloody brilliant. Cool. Um, I was playing a guy called Kieran Mulholland, um, who's also written a blog post about it. Um who was using a Captain America crew. So there was Captain America and Bucky and a VIP who was Peter Cushing. Not quite sure why the story, the story of why Peter Cushing turned up. Um, and then loads of US soldiers. Mm-hmm. And he was also using the unit stuff. I haven't used a unit and this unit activation, but everyone seemed to have units and units activation and also, um, lots of shoe in. Yeah. I had lots of people for fisticuffs. Um, um, my experience is I can see how shooting would be really effective, but uh, it's by no way guaranteed. And again, a lot of it then comes down to that management of those resor- that resource to be able to get those extra defense or attack dice. Yeah. Um, so anyway, oh yeah, so it's the extra attack, defense and attack dice. So you, it's basically a d6 base game. Um, so you roll a d6 and you add it to whatever the relevant number is. So my pistol might be plus nine. So I roll a d6, add nine to it. That's what's called. You can spend a plot point to roll, add an extra dice. And on a four up, that dice adds plus one to your roll. Yeah. Um, and so you get this nice banishment. But also there's a distinct order for rolling. So the defending player rolls his dice first. And chooses to spend his resources. So the attacking player knows what number they have to try and get to. Yeah. So, you know, if, if it's an unassailable number, then you, you know, you save yourself having to spend those plot points. You don't have to declare ahead of knowing what that number is. So, um, you can go, oh, there's no way I can beat that. And therefore I've missed. Yeah. So I was playing Kieran. Um, the peril card that we had was Inferno because we thought that was quite fun. Um, and we were playing on Mike Strong's absolutely wonderful Venice board. Mm. Um, he's had he's done a load of uh, TT Combats, um, MDF Terrain to make a docks and a load of Ven- Venetian houses and stuff. And then he's used textured wallpaper and lots and lots of drawing of brickwork and stuff. Yeah. That has taken him a long, long time. But it looks absolutely amazing. Uh, so we were, we were playing on that and we decided that the ship, the big ship model, um, that was in the middle of the board would be, that whole ship model was where all of the parts of the super weapon were. So basically yeah. you had to control the ship. Makes sense. Um, but the Inferno card meant that, um, when we got to the end of act one, my side of the board, the defender's side, would explode in flames. Um, when you got to the act of two, act two, the attacker's side, which is Kieran's side, would explode in flames. And at the end of, uh, when you got to the finale card, the final finale card, everything would explode in flames. Um, which had quite a big bearing on the game because, um, 
Captain America and Bucky came charging forward, and then we got to the end of Act 1. So he, he was in my half of the board and got set on fire. They then retreated, and when we got to the end of Act 2, he was in his half of the board and got set on fire. Captain America did a lot of lot of being on fire. Um, and so uh, I got shot quite a bit. My three co-stars all got onto the boat and were hugging cover. Um, my secret, my femme fatale was seducing American soldiers by unzipping her bodysuit just very slightly and then shooting them in the head because she has a free action that can make them um, have minus defense and so it makes it much easier to kill them. Uh, she can also fire twice. Normally you can only shoot once per round, but she has a, if you spend an extra plot point, she goes gun crazy and shoots twice. And her gun is really good. It might be a, it's a relatively short range. It's only six inches, but it's got the deadly trait. And that turns out that that adds an extra plus one to your shooting, which can be the difference between hitting and losing quite yeah. a lot of the game because the roles are often very tight. Yeah. It is from that point of view, the, the roles is, it is a game of small margins because you just have to equal or beat the defender's role to inflict the damage. Um, which is why initially when it's, when you think, oh, well, if I spend a plot point for an extra dice, but there's only 50% chance that it'll actually make a difference. Quite often it's worth that chance because, you know, it's, it's one or two pips on a dice is the difference between life and death. It is, it is a game of small margins. Um, eventually Captain America got onto the ship. Um, and then I had a very cinematic moment. I had a huge stack of plot points. So, um, Dr. Mobius was able to shoot some people and do some things. And then Maria charged Captain America and threw him off the boat. It was brilliant. She charged up to him, picked him up and just hossed him into the ocean. Nice. He, he took no damage whatsoever. And it put the fire out. I'm and guessing. it put the fire out. But he did get hossed into the into the uh, water, which was absolutely hilarious. Um, but then he came leaping back up again, um, and uh, we did some more shooting, and then various, very, then the, everything exploded in fire, and my femme fatale did not get set on fire, and so she was able to shoot one of uh, Kieran's soldiers that had rushed up onto the um, the boat, killing him, shut him through the eyeball, and uh, that was enough to draw the game. Nice. So it ended up in a draw, but it was brilliant because everything was just exploding in flames. <laughs> it's absolutely superb. And I got to use my teleporter ring. Yes, I had one of those in the last game as um, my gadget. Yes, because that's, that's another thing is that you get gadgets. Um, you get one gadget per co-star or star, and then you, um, there are certain models will have the gadget keyword, which enables you to add another one. And basically what you do is you look at how many gadgets you're entitled to. So in my case, it was five. You deal out double the number of cards. So you deal out 10 and then you take the five that you want to use. And there's things like disintegrator rays and um, teleporter rings and thunder drums that gets everyone to move extra and stuff. Yeah. Again, all very pulp themed. Yeah. 
Um, so that was another, that was another draw. Um, and then that led into game three and, uh, Mike Strong, who, um, is one of the driving forces behind organizing a lot of the, the smaller games. He's the same guy that, um, organized the Dragon Rampant event that we went to and also the 7TV event we went to in January. Yep. Um, he said, would I like a game? And we'd not played before, we've not played before. And so we went, yep. And so, um, Dr. Mobius was defending the, um, super weapon, because the super weapon is now being constructed, was defending the super weapon against Mike's ship's crew. And as your game two was, that was my game three. Yeah. Um, Mike shot me a lot and then beat me to death with crowbars. Nice. <laughs> and we were playing in the jungle and we, we'd picked this jungle hazard peril, um, which meant that a lot of people, a lot of my people would just fall over. Oh, right. Um, and then, oh, I'm lying on the ground. Hey, have a crowbar to the head. Um, so it did, we did not get to the end of that game. And, no. um, I got, my cast got axed very, very quickly as Mike gave me a bit of a shellacking. Um, yes. Well, my game three was against the aforementioned Andy and Lord Flash. Um, we were playing in the, the museum on the museum board, which was kind of a bit of a half and a half board so um you had an above ground which was a french or, or belgian museum with a street and kind of a tram situation and then there was kind of an underground hidden layer um which using an idea that somebody from a previous game had had there were a number of um manhole covers on the upper level um that me and andy agreed that um we would then dice. Conveniently, there were 10 rooms on the lower level, so we decided that upon entering, you would come out in a randomly generated room. Um, I was defending uh, the super weapon, which turned out to be a colossal triceratops because those were what the spare super weapons were. And I, I scattered my my cast of, of gangsters through the rooms of the, the secret base under the museum. Um Lord Flash and Quartermain and his cronies came down through the sewers. Um, and I didn't get shot up quite as much as grenaded to death. Because, again, the narrow confines, uh, and again, a grenade has a three-inch burst, meant that mine were fairly well grouped up. And while I managed to, I did manage to inflict a wound on uh, Lord Flash, uh, the rest of him and Quartermain. I did have one man that was savaged to death by Flash's dog. Um, and my, my mob leader was pretty much grenaded to death in, in his office before we really had much of a chance to do anything. Um, and he used the seize initiative, um, mechanism. So as, as I mentioned before, it's an I go, you go turn, uh, sequence after you've uh, generated your initial initiative. Um, so the, the sequence at which you're going to play out, but there is an opportunity for each player once during the game can seize the initiative and have a double go. Um, the penalty is in on the second of your two goes is the plot points you generate um, are only from your star and co-star, so your extras don't generate any plot points. So you don't have as much resource, but you do have that opportunity and effect of getting that double go in. 
um, and Andy chose a really good moment to play that um, and threw more grenades at me from his magic bag of endless grenades. Um, and my crew were left bloodied with bleeding ears um, as he rampaged through the our secret fortress under the museum. Um, and Lord Flash and his dog um, managed to set the explosive charges on the flank of my fully matured triceratops that we had grown from a vat in the secret fortress um, and successfully won that game. Um, again, it was over very quickly, but we just laughed our nuts off all the way through the game because it was so very cinematic. There were, you know, the grenades were bouncing off the Ikea dictator's table um, and into the face of my men with, with great regularity, but at no point did the Ikea dictator table suffer any damage whatsoever. <laughs> so we've decided that actually that's the best form of body armour now, is we need to get whatever that table was made out of and make it into some panels of some body armour because it, it just stood up to, I think, five grenades in totally threw into that room. Um, and it was not even marked. It's marvellous what the Swedes can do with chipboard. <laughs> um, so super fun. And again, it, it was a really nice table to play on. The majority of the action took place in the in the lower part, just by the nature of the scenario. But the idea of having that sort of two two layered tables, so you had an upstairs and a downstairs, was was really good fun. Cool. Cool. So, um, in the end, uh, it was a draw. The so yes. thing. Yes, once all of the points and the victory points were added up between those accumulated by the 10 or 12 people playing for SSR and the matching number playing for Hydra, um, it was 95 points on each side. Um, so that struggle goes on. It does. Um, so, so I realised I didn't talk very much about Mike's game because he just killed me. What I meant, to, what I was I wanted to say about the game with Mike is, he like me had backstories for all of his characters, mm. and um, was playing his characters as they were going. It was almost RPG like the way that we were both attributing actions to our characters as if they were in character. Nice. Um, and it was just, a, it was just a brilliant addition to that game was because, you know, everyone was named and they were all doing the various things. And there was the medic was this drunk guy who was just getting voices out of bottles. So when he used the gadget of the special radio, um, Mike said, oh, he's not actually using a radio, of course. He's just hearing, these are just the voices that he hears in his head. Um, <laughs> sort of thing. So it was that sort of thing. But I thought that's the sort of flavor of the games that 7TV just kicks up and the people who play it, you know, those are the sorts of moments yeah. that you're getting. It's not, a, it's very much not a prescribed system. Even though you're playing a game and there are rules frameworks within it, um, it's very much a, go with the flow and this is what's going to happen. Yeah. It, I mean, it definitely allows your imagination to, to run right. It allows you to have, you know, that, that level of, um, immersion, I guess, into your, 
your toy soldiers. So you can have backstories. You can have, you know, unplayed games, but situations and scenarios of how they've come to this point. Um, and, and, you know, we spoke about it kind of on the way down there and on the way back or on the way up there and on the way back. Um, and you'd mentioned it in a blog post around, you know, the crew's kind of feel like they're often one and done. So, you know, you might play, you know, a day with them, but then you might not ever want to play with them again. Um, but I, I can see that that's, that's no bad thing when we're talking about kind of six, seven or eight models, um, if you can get some joy out of it. Um, and then we started talking about the fact that certainly there is some scope for, you know, playing as a, a little bit of a mini narrative campaign, which is something we've often talked about and never really got round to. But given our love for 7TV and how much we enjoy playing it, um, I think it might actually happen with this rule set. I think it might as well. Um, we forgot to mention that at lunchtime there was a Q&A yes. with um, Carl and um, his team. And yeah. the group from Edge Hill, uh, where we all got very excited by the future. Yes, yeah, some, some future additions to the kind of seven TV stable. So just to be clear, what we've got from an official canon point of view at the moment is we've got the original, um, inch high spy fi, which is kind of based around the, uh, TV shows of the 60s and 70s you know the professionals and uh you know that that james bond-esque kind of stuff yeah there's the post-apocalyptic set um which we've yet to play actually um but that's the one i've got out and i've been looking through today uh, and now we've got pulp as well but there are also some other um annuals around um i've not played the grand grand home or grand Grandville. Grand Granville, that's it. Sorry, it's because I'm watching New Zealand's highlights on the telly. Oh, they weren't um, here very, very long. No, there weren't many highlights. Um, which is kind of anthropomorphic yes. like animals. Anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic animals. Um, yeah. It's based on a comic book, if I remember rightly. Yes, I believe so. Uh, but it's something we might have to pick up because apparently there's some kind of elements of, of steampunky type stuff in there with zeppelins and the like. Yeah. And everything's better with Zeppelins. Always. Um, um, but with, there's talk of kind of... Uh, in in first edition 7TV, there was Seventh Voyage, which was kind of a fantasy slash mythological... Um, yeah, it was it was Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. Um, and I know that you've had a hankering for that kind of fantasy elements or... Yeah, you know, Beastmaster, Krull, um, Lady, yes, and, all, and all films that got mentioned. There was, there was, there was a lack of love for Krull, which is obviously, I don't know. Maybe it was just the atmosphere. Maybe everyone was just having a mass hallucination. But it's well known that Krull is the greatest fantasy movie of all time. Well, you see, I'm more of a Beastmaster man myself. <laughs> Krull versus Beastmaster. <laughs> So, but yes, that's certainly on the cards, as well as some potential additions and, and bits and bobs into um, what we've already got. Yes, I've never been so disappointed as when I went to see Kroll. <laughs> I must have been what twelve years old. 
It had I would been, have thought so. It had been like advertised for months and months, and they'd had on Saturday morning swap shop, or no, it probably wasn't. It probably wasn't swap shop by then. It was probably um, the one with Mike Reed presenting. I don't even remember what that was called now. I can't remember. Saturday Superstore. Um, there was, um, you know, they were, had all the actors in, there were loads of film clips and stuff, and I went to see it. And I loved it when I saw it, but then when I saw it, you know, maybe four or five years later, when I'm 16, 17, I'm going, God, this is a pile of dross. Yeah. The I don't think any of them have aged particularly well. No. But it does have Lisette Anthony floating around in not a lot, which when you're 13 or 14 male was quite good. <laughs> Even though she was then dubbed by some American actors. Oh, yes, yes. None of the dialogue is her voice. <laughs> and it does have people who go, Slayer! Yeah. But anyway... But So there was that. So there was, there was fantasy. But also, out of the blue, which was quite exciting, um, 70v 80s. Um which was also very exciting. Um, yes. So I don't know how far off that is, but obviously... Well, the indications uh, were that it was quite close, I thought. Yeah. And, and to be able to use the the same word on subsequent podcasts, I think at the moment it captures the zeitgeist quite well, because there is a lot of 80s revival stuff going on at the moment. Um Stranger Things notwithstanding that we will talk about at some points. Yeah. Um, but Ready Player One had a lot of kind of 80s reference. Years and years, I think, a BBC show um, had a lot of it. There's a whole thing, um, a re-embracing of the 80s at the moment. So I think there's lots of scope there to, but, to get um, excited. Dempsey and Make Peace, Cat's Eyes, Airwolf, Air Team, uh, A-Team. Yeah, Miami Vice. So... Lots and lots of shows that you can um, pull from in yeah. that. Uh, so that'll be that'll be exciting. And the really good thing is the rules are the same. Yeah, core cool mechanics don't change at all. Yeah. So you get the difference between Spy Fi and Pulp. So the first one and the last, the latest one, is um, the the cards that you get for your archetypes are different. Um. You know, and so the abilities on the cards and so might be different, but the the rule mechanics, the way the game functions, and the the use of the peril deck or the countdown deck, those sorts of things are the sorry the cliffhanger deck or the countdown whatever deck. it's called, depending yeah. on which version you're playing. Yeah, um, they're the they're the same mechanics. So if you if you are playing Spy Fi and you want to switch to playing Pop, it's the same game. Yeah. You might be using yeah, different models, and you might be using a different crew, and in your head it might be telling a different story, but mechanically it's the same. Yeah, it is the ultimate in reskinning. Um, and and I was going to talk. I was just going to say that yes, you know we've got eighties coming, but it is one of those games where because all of those cards that are you know the characters and the model types because they're all archetypes. Um, you could, it doesn't matter what models you use anyway. So, you know, uh, uh, 
if you're using pulp and you want it pulp and you want it to use it for World War Two, you can. The inch high spy fight doesn't have to sit in the sixties and seventies, as we spoke about when we went and played in January. I was playing with a Dark Knight Rises Bane crew because you know he's the evil mastermind, and and all of his League of Shadows were kind of the idiot henchmen. So you know if it, you're limited purely really by your imagination with this rule set, and I think that's why. Um, it really kind of tickles both our fancies. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's figure agnostic. Um, mm-hmm. Use what use what you want. Do what you want. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. The crooked dice figures are lovely. Yes. I mean, the the stuff that um, crooked dice produce that are you know not necessarily designed for, but you know, built uh, and and commissioned in line with the kind of rule sets. Uh, they are really nice, but you know, there are lots and lots of figures out there that are really nice. And if you're old, and my God, have I realized just how much crap that I've collected because I've had to move it over the last week and a half. Um, boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes and boxes of toys. You will have something in your collection that you will be able to use for these games. Yeah. 100, 100%. Um, I think my Mobius crew. Um, was eight figures, and I had seven different manufacturers in it. Yeah, and they all fitted together. And yeah, um, I had lots of people compliment the crew, which was really nice. Yes, as, especially as it wasn't a best painted prize, though I wouldn't have won anyway. No, but um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a brilliant game. I know that we bang on about it, but it is honestly the best small skirmish game that I have played in my 40 odd years of gaming. You're really old. No, I just started early. Oh, right. (laughs) But you're also really old. I am also. Um, I mean, not Conrad old, obviously. Well, no, because I wasn't around before the Bible was written. Yeah. Um, But it was honestly the best set of rules. (laughs) And the fact that you can use it for anything... um, it's completely figure agnostic, so you just pick what you want. Is it's just a joy. I just realised that there's a page missing out the front of the Bible where it thanks the playtesters and Conrad's in there. <laughs> um, so there is a seven TV event, seven day TV day three on location. Yeah, um, is being run by the aforementioned Mike Strong. At Board in Brum in September. If you look in the 7TV Facebook group, then you can find details of yep. that. Um, it is a 40 rating event. So you get a couple more toys to put on the table or a yep. vehicle. Yes. Um, I have no idea what I'm going to use for that. Um, Me neither. <laughs> I keep umming and ahhing and having new ideas and then going, oh, I don't know about that. Um, so I have not decided. I haven't decided what genre you can play. Because that's the other important thing. You can play a spy-fi cast against a pulp cast against an apocalypse cast, if that's what you want. Yes. Uh, the only thing that sort of Mike has put in there as a um, caveat is around the apocalyptic vehicles play differently to the vehicles in the other because it's designed to have that 
Dark Future Rescue. Yeah, and I mean, you it's, can it's, do it's, a, mad, it's a Mad Maxi type car thing. So there are some expanded vehicle rules that yes. won't work against it. But the actual profiles of your cast, yeah, will work quite happily. You can mix and match as you yeah. want. Um, so that's that happening in September. It's at Board in Brum on the twenty first. It's the twenty first, is it? Um, yeah, which is in Warsaw. Um, it's really easy to get to, to be honest. Yes, yeah, so there's a lovely little Premier Inn just around the corner. Yeah, if you want to stay, which is what we're going to do, we're going to stay up overnight because they have some. They do have some issues with their CCTV cameras in the lobby at the Premier Inn, though. What they imagine bald spots on? They imagine bald spots on like men on people, which is clearly not true. It was a weird trick of the light. <laughs> Um, but there is a primary in just around the corner. It's just off. It's just off the um, M6. Yeah. Uh, just off Junction Ten. Yes, it is. Well remembered. Um, see, I said this was going to be Roads of Britain. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's it's a really nice venue. Simon, who owns the venue, um, is a really nice guy. He also plays. He was there on yes. Saturday. Um, he's going to do Blake Seven cast, I think. From what we were talking yes, about, but yeah, I think that's what he was talking around, and and potentially, a, as written, the rules mean that you are supposed to spend what is it a third of your points yeah, a third on of your extras. Um, but I think that that again, the nature of the games and those people that turn up to play them means that um, we may waive that to allow you to have narrative narratively appropriate crews that might be all made up of stars and co-stars. Yeah, see, um, I didn't even realise this was a rule. It was only after 7TV Day 2 that I yeah. read some discussion and I went, is that a rule? Yeah, is that a thing? <laughs> so, yeah, so you can make narrative, so you can basically have all co-stars. Yeah. If that's what you want. You just end up with less models. Yes. Um, which means you're close to getting axed as models die. Um, so that's happening uh it really I cannot emphasize enough how brilliant a game it is yeah i mean we we've gushed about a lot of games in the past as as you dear listeners will be aware of um i mean only recently saga age of magic we we kind of gushed over that a little bit but and we still gush over that and we still gush over it because it's a brilliant game but I'm with you. 7TV is possibly one of the most enjoyable games that I have played. And to the point where I can't wait to play it again because it is such a brilliant laugh. I agree. I agree. So 7TV is where yeah. the gaming hotness is at. Well, until yeah. the next shiny thing comes along. Yes. Oh, squirrel. I am going, well, speaking of squirrels, I am going to Burrows and Badges Day. <laughs> Yes, you are. So you'll be you'll be wanting to play Barrows and Badges again. Well, it depends how much I lose by. Yes, and I've just bought Apocalypse Forty K, which I've not even opened the box for yet because I've been too busy like moving stuff. I'm trying to be good. Yeah, there you go. Well, I may have made a display board. No, uh, sorry, a, a sophisticated carrying tray mm-hmm. for my Burrows and Badges stuff for the weekend. <laughs> Try hard. <laughs> Sorry, I sneezed. Oh, poor you. It must be hay fever. Yeah, something like that. All the dust. <laughs> Out of your ears. 
Um, no, from figures that I bought 30 years ago and have not yet taken out of packets. Oh, that's bad. I haven't got anything like that, honest, Governor. No. All those figures, you've you've had those ages, not bought anything new. I can't remember the last time I spent money on buying figures. No, because those, those corn demons, they've been in the shed for years. They predate GW getting into plastic. Yeah, absolutely. Despite the fact they're made of plastic. I'm fairly sure Miss Marshall does not listen. I'm I'm 100% certain she doesn't listen. However, young Emily Marshall now does. Does she? Well, yeah, since the D&D episode. Ah, right. She still won't come on, but since the D&D yeah. episode, she now listens. Ah, right. It's because it's on that here Spotify, you see, and the youth ah, like it on the Spotify's. Do they buy Jingo? I'm fairly sure my youth does not listen because she thinks it's all a bit sad and tragic. Which, considering she has Gamer Girl written all over her... Oh, yes. And certainly will be playing games in the future. Without a doubt. Um, is a bit, you know... Yes. As long as she's not selling her bathwater on the internet, I don't mind. <laughs> Who's selling the bathwater? I think it's that Belle Delphine thing. I've got no it's, idea who that is. It's one of these overly sexualised cosplayer types that is a Nat's pube away from kind of being a porn type person um, is selling bathwater on the internet to strange lonely neck beards. God knows what they're doing with it. I'm a weirdo pervert, but even I don't get what that's all about. How weird. Yes, each to their own. Yeah. Well, on that weird note, I, you know we've been talking for over an hour. Uh, we do tend to run on when we get excited about stuff. We do. Um, and this episode will probably be out before other episodes that we recorded earlier. Because of all the excitement and giddiness. Yeah, just due to the vagaries of scheduling. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, something. If you do listen to the show, um, tell your friends about it. Point them in the direction of the Facebook page, you know. All the all the Spotify stuff. All the Spotify stuff. Um, as we try to rebuild our audience after our slight hiatus, um, yeah, two years. Um, it would be nice, you know, to if people sort of pushed us again. Yeah, and we do it for free. We've we've we haven't got any of that Patreon or what's the other one? Kofi. Coffee. Kofi, we do this out of love and occasionally boredom. Um, yeah. There is there is no financial benefit for it. Uh, but in fairness, it doesn't cost us anything other than time anyway. Um, I, but I will gratefully accept, you know, um, contributions of no less than a thousand pounds at a time, please, because you know I'm not the Brexit party. Um, <laughs> yeah, just cost. Um, but coming up. Um, hopefully you all enjoyed the um, interview that we did with Rob Stoddard. Um, I know I certainly enjoyed recording it. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming up, uh, we are planning on getting um, Michael and Joe Lovejoy on the show. To talk properly about Burrows and Badgers, because we've mentioned it many, many times. But but apparently we've never done a show on it. Apparently not. So somebody on the on the Twitters was on about this morning or yesterday. Yeah, Rich was on. You've met him. You met him at Daft Car, at um, Butterfly House. 
I meet so many people, um, many of them hairy, gamey, beardy types. And in, in fairness, and I don't mean to sound crass or misogynistic, unless that I, I uh, unless there's this, this no, no, because there's I'm no way you're going to be able to pull this off. I'm not going to remember you if you're a man. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. <laughs> so Rich pointed out that we haven't done a um, Burroughs and Badgers event. So as I'm seeing them at the weekend, I'm going to harass Michael and Joe to get them to come on the show. Um, and I'm hopeful that we'll also can get Carl Peroton to come on and talk about 7TV and perhaps elaborate on future plans and directions yes. and things. He didn't yes, seem overly pleased with our suggestion of 7TV children's TV, though. No, uh, it, there was a, a look of scorn, I think, is the politest way that I can put it. Yeah. Though um, you didn't seem very pleased with the idea of being able to play Mr. Spoon. I, that was made my childhood hell. <laughs> uh, uh, look at you. Uh, you just got back from Buttermain, Spooner. Uh. And of course, as as I believe we have mentioned um, uh, in the past, the creator of Buttermoon does actually live in my village. <laughs> or did, because he's dead now. But Yes. I killed him. <sighs> Don't say things like that. It's fine. There's no evidence. Because you're an expert on DNA cleansing. We know. Absolutely. Never convicted, my friends. <laughs> Ever charged? Nope. Oh, there you go. Right, so on Matt's admission of being a criminal mastermind, um, I think that's probably it. Um, I, I believe so. Oh, there is a Kickstarter I wanted to plug, actually. Oh, is there? Yes, Fenris Games' latest Kickstarter. Oh, yes, the Chaos Warband. Yes. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Um, all very disease god type figures in, done in an old school 1980s, 1990s metal styly. Yes. Kind of very old hammer rhymes with Burgle. Yes. Yes. The great god Burgle. Yes. Um, lots of lovely metal miniatures. That Ian, Smash. Is, that Ian is producing. Yeah, it's all Smashing funded. Um, he's aiming for the second stretch goal at the moment, which un- um, unlocks a nice five-pack of Rouses. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know what a Rouse is... <sighs> I despair. Um, it's almost as bad as not knowing who Maria is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so, uh, that's sort of it, really. Uh, go and check out, go and check out, um, the Kickstarter, uh, by Fenris, just search for Fenris Games on Kickstarter and you'll find it. Yes. Um, because it's got some fancy name that Ian's come up with that just... I can't remember. Uh, uh the Cauldron Warband, uh, I, That's I, it. I clicked through to see. I clicked through to see. Um, lots yeah. of lovely, not Nurgle models. Yeah. Um, with a dis- with a release date of um, this year, so <laughs> uh, well worth doing. Because yep. Ian produces lovely stuff. Um, we've got a lot of his terrain. Mm-hmm. 
uh, from his um, dungeon. Not that when no, ruins. Ruin City. Uh, Ruin yeah. City Kickstarter, um, which is all very very nice. Yeah, that's great. Actually, you got anything yes. to plug or? No, just that we'll be in Bugman's in two days' time. Um, on the eleventh, if you see some fat pasty blokes, we'll be one of those hundred people. <laughs> yes, that's right. We are in Bugman's. If someone wants to come and buy us lunch, uh, feel free to come and see us in Bugman's. We're taking Peach. You'll be able to recognise him. He's the one licking the windows. Yeah, he makes me look sane. Uh, he makes all of us look sane. But yeah. um, we're taking him to Warhammer World for the very first time, I believe. Uh, it is his very first time. And he he's going to go around. A... He's going to go around the exhibition. Yes, and I'm going to have to lead him by the hand like some ridiculous. <laughs> I'll be, it'll be like me, and it'll be like Clint Eastwood and the orangutan. <laughs> With you playing Don't say which one's which. <laughs> <laughs> Um, while Joe and I, well, Joel and I, Pokemon, which is not a euphemism. No, we just will be Pokemoning. Yes, um, and we'll be listening to the cricket as well because England will be beating Australia in the World Cup semi-final. Come on, the Blues to go on to play, no doubt, India again. It looks like it, judging by how the game is going thus far for New Zealand. Um, and if it keeps raining, DLS will come in and New Zealand have failed to score particularly quickly. Yes. So, well, no, there's a reserve day anyway. Oh, is there? Yeah. We'll have reserve days. That's why it's Tuesday, Thursday. Ah. Because there is okay. a reserve day for tomorrow. Well, that seems wise. I know. Though I think that if you have a reserve day, because the conditions have changed, you should really start the game again. Yes, absolutely. So New Zealand could do just as badly the second time. Yes. Uh, anyway, right, that's it. Um, until next time, I've been Mike. Um, and I've been Matt. I'm willing to accept a fumble in the Bugman's toilets. There's an offer you can't refuse. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. You can contact Fools Daily on Twitter, we're at Fools Underbar Daily, or via email, foolsdaily at outlook.com. <laughs>